Hi, Nick. Hey, Teddy. Do you remember the band Newsboys? Oh, God. I forgot about that. Welcome to Oh, God, I Forgot About That, the podcast that explores artifacts from turn-of-the-century Christian culture. All right, Nick. So I highly doubt that you have forgotten about the Newsboys. Absolutely not. It's it's one of those things you I don't think you can ever forget about. Yeah, I don't think so. I as I've been preparing for this episode, I've been talking to a lot of ex-evangelicals. I've been listening to Newsboys in my car. People have been dancing on the side of the street while I have I told you about this. Did I tell you about this? I think you did, but definitely tell yeah, everybody okay. else. So I was uh, blasting Shine the Hits, which is what we're going to talk about today. I had my window rolled down because it's been a gloriously mild month. And I was going through downtown and all of a sudden there were a bunch of people on the curb and they started singing along to the song, which is just it was perfect. Yeah, I mean, nothing brings folks together in the bible belt like some like, news uh, yeah yeah for those who don't know actually it is probably good to emphasize that we are in what they call the bible belt of pa so for con that probably makes more sense knowing that context yeah absolutely who knows the newsboys? yeah when you live this close to a bible college proper you're gonna get these folks right yeah right all right so what do you remember about the newsboys? i remember them sort of taking over the Christian music scene. I remember them being sort of the standard to which every new band was held for a very long time in, in a lot of genres. The majority of the music that I listened to uh, as a kid was in the like punk pop punk scene of okay. Christian music. So there wasn't a ton of overlap with Newsboys specifically, but even still, like you don't you don't listen to CCM of the time without listening to Newsways. I remember their lyrics being absurd. I remember their music being very playful. Mm -hmm. Um, It sort of crossed this boundary between or straddled this boundary between uh, worship music and like uh, silly music. Yeah, that's perfect description. So For those who aren't familiar or have forgotten, they were a they are they are a Christian rock band. Uh, They were founded in 1985 in Australia by Peter Furler and George. I don't know how to say his last name, Perdiccius. And they're now in Nashville. So they started in Australia and they're now an American band. It feels like a downgrade. It feels like a downgrade. (laughs) Definitely feels like a downgrade. Uh, They've released 18 studio albums, six of which were certified gold, meaning that I think that means they had like 500, at least 500,000 sales of albums and then like a million for singles. Wow, that is surprising for a christian band especially yeah uh throughout the years the band members have changed a lot the men have kind of come and gone and we'll talk about that when i walk you through the different eras but as of today the band consists of lead vocalist michael tate and who is michael tate Michael Tate is one of the main three from DC Talk. Yep, he's one of our DC Talk guys. Drummer and percussionist Duncan Phillips, keyboardist uh, Jeff Frankenstein, Frankenstein, Steen, Frankenstein, 
and guitarist Jody Davis. And as of today, they are still performing music and they've appeared in films God's Not Dead, God's Not Dead 2, and God's Not Dead A Light in the Darkness, which I know a terrible amount about the first and had no idea there was a sequel and whatever the hell that third thing is. I believe there's four of them right oh, now. Did I really miss one? I don't know that they're in that other film. Okay. But I do. Yeah. Are they there's... all about atheist professors who get hit by trucks or? No. Oh, okay. I kind of want to do a deep dive on these because I hate them so very much. <laughs> they're more your era of, or not your era, but they're, I was already out of the church at this point. <laughs> you had already escaped. I was still, I, yeah. yeah. You were still a fugitive. Um, so you always have more like to say about these. By the time I encountered God's Not Dead, I was already like a senior snobby undergrad who was like, over the church and watch this not as a Christian. Right. To be fair, I didn't watch it as a Christian. It was I was still running in circles where it was relevant to talk about. You were in Bible college, correct? When, what year was it that it came out? Do you remember the first one? I was in college, so I feel like you would have been in college. I probably would have been in college. I'm just going to look it up right here. But if that's the case, then I feel like the first one came out in 2014. I was not in college. Just kidding. I'm terrible at time. Forget it. I time, wasn't in college. Time barely exists. I was in graduate school. OK. Oh, I was in graduate school. I wasn't in graduate school. <laughs> oh, my God. Never mind. I don't know my own life, everybody. I was already an adjunct professor is what I am saying. And we actually I teamed up with a faculty in the religious department and we showed the um god's not dead movie and had a conversation about it moral of the story is i was way outside of this culture at this point 2014 uh i was in i was in grad school i was okay. doing my master's at that point um but uh, uh that was when i was like on my way out okay um i wasn't fully in a deconstructing mindset it was more like apathetic stepping back um which you know that that's, that's how always it starts. a sweet time yeah, yeah. yeah. um but anyway, uh, from my understanding, the whole God's Not Dead phenomenon started with the Newsboys. Am I correct about that? I So one thing I'll talk about is that there is so much to say about the Newsboys. So I sort of reined this in and concentrated on a particular era. So I actually did not look much at the Newsboys of the contemporary world. And I would okay. consider that the last 10 yeah. years to be contemporary. Um, but it kept coming up as in terms of like analyses of the newsboys progression, the progression of their careers, God's not dead kind of kept coming up as this turning point for them where they started to get involved in things that they had never gotten involved in before. And just like their band's association with things started to change around that era. It seemed to me again, this at this point, I'm looking at it from a distance, but it seemed like after the God's not dead phenomenon, they were, they stopped being just like a band and started becoming sort of like a Christian activist group that did music. Okay. Is what it seemed like to me. Yeah. There's also a lot of commentary online about the correlation causation, the correlation between the God's not dead movies and that new creative focus and the sort of um, 
the like their creative the creativity of their songs diminishing basically that like there's there's critique of they the trajectory that i have been able to follow at least and again i didn't dig in deep into this is that there's this like thing that happens where they get really involved with the films and more of the stuff you're describing and their music also takes a sharper turn toward classical worship style stuff as opposed to what we're going to talk about in our era which was the music was much more kind of playful and weird you know and and i think i see that in uh even bands like reliant k i mean i still follow along with their you know newer releases because sure. that was just like my band um but their stuff of the era that we talk about a lot was playful it was sadie so hawkins dance yeah, yeah. it was chapstick and chaplicks and things like chemistry they were doing sort of like that very similar to early early fallout boy like that that playfulness that weirdness and then by the time we get to the mid teens you know they're more like a indie punk band and they're doing a lot of like what would feel like mainstream indie Mm, that's interesting and you know i'd I'd be curious to know what is in what ways is that isolated to those bands and is in what ways is it just a symptom of culture evolving because we've talked a lot about the 90s just being like an absurdist culture as well so in some ways it's like this was true of so many bands back more more explicitly to um to to newsboys similar to dc talk the episode you first did and now that i'm covering newsboys i have so much more sympathy for you covering dc talk by the way (laughs) um it's really hard to sum up these bands because they have a really really long career um summing them up in one episode is difficult because the band almost needs to be conceptualized in terms of decades or perhaps better said in terms of eras Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. So these eras are based on I think they're based on a variety of factors. So the first is just the actual band members, like who was there at the time, because I don't think this is true for DC Talk. But Newsboys, again, has had a lot of different men come and go throughout the band. That was not true for DC. Talk. Yeah, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. And they in a lot of senses, um, like burned out. Yeah. At a certain point, you know, they were they existed as this thing and then stopped. Right. Where it seems like Newsboys was one thing for a while and transformed yes and it's hard to chart like i was trying to write it all down on my ipad and like all the like who enters you know the band when who leaves when and it gets really confusing i'm not sure i'm going to try to like be really really you know um explicit about all those dates and people but just know that lots of people come and go and that kind of um determines you know what they're doing the second is where they're actually living. So Australia versus United States, there's like a switch that happens there. And then just three, the overall climate of Christian culture at large at the time, um, the, the climate of both Christianity, but then also the climate of CCM. As we know, going from the, the 1980s to the present 2023, a lot has changed in terms of CCM. Um, So I'm going to talk us through the eras leading up to 2005, but I'm ultimately going to concentrate the most on about 1995 to 2005, because I believe it's the time we're most experiencing it in our youth, me and you. And it's the 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 era of the podcast, but also for a couple other reasons as well. So um, you actually have experience again with probably Newsboys a little longer than I do. But I think that what we'll find is that the era that we experience them the most is also the height of Newsboys. Oh, yeah, for sure. That, that, that definitely would track. And I think, you know, you mentioned like the climate of CCM and all that. 
I wonder how much of this devolution of newsboys <laughs> I like that word <laughs> has been because of the devolution of CCM, right? Like it's this burgeoning thing. We talked a lot about this in the DC Talk episode, perhaps too much. But like it was sorry this, if that's true. <laughs> it was this burgeoning industry in the right. late 80s, early 90s. And then by the time we get to the turn of the millennium, we get like just an open space of creativity. And then producers and labels knew what stuck and what sold well. And then it became this sort of homogenous industry. And perhaps that's why Newsboys, like, declined. Also, Nashville from Australia, that feels like a strict downgrade in every sense. Yeah, I would have to agree. Yeah. Um, and people talk about this era with such nostalgia, you know, people our age. But even like my mom, you know, will say Christian music and she still listens to Christian music. She will say, oh, it's just not the Christian music of the 90s. Oh, interesting. Uh, so I think that, you know, there and Newsboys were a part of that. So the band formed in 1985 by two young men, Peter Forler and George. <laughs> I'm not going to say the last name in Australia. George and Pete. Got it. Yes. They're about 18 years old at the time. Wow. I know. It's crazy. Really young. Okay. Really young. I feel so old saying this, but do you notice that like when you see bands or actors or something, then they start in like their late teens, early 20s. Don't you just think, dear God, I'm so glad that I didn't get any sort of renown at that age because it only like, I don't know. I don't know. Do you feel that way? Whenever someone like is going to critique someone from this era and then I have to I tell myself, oh, man, that was so stupid. Also, goddamn, they were 19 years old. Like, right. I mean, if if we all of a sudden decided to publish my Facebook notes or Zanga posts <laughs> from when oh, I was God. like 16 to 20 years old, I would want to curl up in a ball and disappear. I mean, it's it's something uh, Josh Harris said, and we mentioned this in the oh, I Guess yeah. Dating Goodbye, right? Like how many of us, you know, would our ideas from 1920 hold up to today? And and as someone who regularly experiences tragic Facebook memories. Oh, my I, God, I know. Uh, it's terrible. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not like these people have been like, you know what? I've really changed and here are all the ways I've changed. And so, you know, it's up for grabs. You know, that's really an interesting element of it i don't I mean, think josh I harris did josh harris yeah yeah, uh, yeah. Ish, um yeah. ish uh go listen to that episode by the way if you really want to know what we think about it but like these guys like they are still technically saying exactly the same thing that they said 20 30 years ago right yeah they haven't changed since they yeah. were 19 again as somebody who looks back and sees these terrible things i go oh thank god i changed yeah oh shit i'm so glad i'm not that little idiot yeah but these guys are, no, I liked that. I'm going to double down. More of that, please. Yeah. A lot of Christian artists are like that. The fact that, you know, Rebecca St. James hasn't revised anything she has said in her Wait For Me book. And now she's a grown woman who's like, what, 40 years old? That's yeah. actually not a good thing. No, not at all. And it's also not unique to Christian culture. I don't want to stick on this You're tangent right. too You're long. Right. But like the person that comes to mind is Ben Shapiro. He yeah. has been in the public eye since he was in Harvard. When he was famously like, I don't listen to a thing my professors say because I'm smarter than them. And I'm like, really, Benny boy? <laughs> really? 
Oh, yeah. So he hasn't changed much is what you're saying. Not not even a little bit. Yeah. And part of this might just be a marketing thing. People figure out what sells and they're like, why? Why fix something that's not broken? You know, well, it's also, I think, part of the conservative ideology, the whole like standpoint of being a conservative is to conserve or preserve things as they are. Fair. So change is on some level necessarily counter to the philosophical positioning of being a conservative. Yes. And to be fair, again, this is getting into a lot uh, something else. But I think that our culture also does not reward the difficult process that is changing one's mind. 100 percent. On either side. I mean, there's just not space for that. Not at all. So anyway, they were babies. <laughs> Baby newsboys. 18 years old. Literally newsboys. Newsboys. There's not tons of information out there about their early days, but what is out there, it's like kind of a typical sweet story. Like they're practicing in their garage. They have dreams of making it big. Um, they perform in these like outdoor areas of, of Australia, hoping to be seen, you know. And then two, two other teens join the band, John James and Sean Taylor. The band at this point is called The News rather than Newsboys. Did you know really? that? I did yeah. Not. Yeah, The News. Why did we gender it? Oh yeah, that's a yeah, that's a good point. So apparently there was some other news program called The News at the time and they were like worried about being confused with it. I was like that wasn't going to happen, but okay. What is with the the because Reliant K is a similar story. Mm-hmm. They named themselves after the car. Yeah. And they were afraid that the car company was going to sue them for the. Like, that's not how that works. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty paranoid about being sued. Hence why we don't play a single song on this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely accurate. <laughs> OK, so um, they moved to the United States in 1987 after being signed with Refu Re- Records, which is apparently like a 1980s record label that's not around anymore. And they released the album Read All About It. And that's in 1988. I returned to this very first album in prep for the episode and truthfully didn't recognize a single one of the songs. Interesting. Was there sound there? Uh, No. So the very original songs of that era didn't live on into their careers, hence why we don't know them. Um, And they're also they sound so 1980s, to be honest. So and I love that. I'm a huge fan of 1980s music. My mom was an aerobic instructor. I was like, I I just love it. Um, So I actually kind of liked the sound, but it was not typical newsboys. Like there was synthesizers and electric sounds and so much electric piano. And it was just very clear they were, you know, working within that that mode. That's really interesting. And I, I didn't listen to that album in prep for this, but it makes me kind of think like, OK, so the the Genesis and Tears for Fears influences that I feel in that turn of the millennium yep. music makes sense then. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I would let's encourage everybody to listen to It's a Joy if you want to experience the sort of 1980 sound of their very, very, very first album. Um, we'll throw a link for that in the description. Yeah, sure. So they have a bit of an established presence now, but they're not at all a well-known name and they haven't really gained garnered much attention at all. Um, by the early 1990s, they released two albums. One has a wonderful title. Hell is for Wimps. Ooh, that's. And it gets better. The other one is Boys Will Be Boys. <laughs> there is so much there. Just, just <laughs> home runs from day one. I'm not sure which is better, you know. And then they released their very first music video. These two CDs still do not get much attention. Like they're still like hardly making any money. Maybe a few people know them, but it's not a big deal. In 1992, though, a shift happens. So they release an album called Not Ashamed, which you probably know that song. Yes. The song of that cover. Yeah. Which is 
probably um, one of the first songs most of you all will, will recognize. And it starts to get more attention by CCM. It's partly because they brought on Steve Taylor, who's a song singer producer. Oh, I didn't know that Steve Taylor worked with them. Yes. That's fascinating. He had a paid partnership with the band and he actually produced most of that album songs and lyrics. Holy moly. That explains so much to me. My mom loved Steve Taylor growing up. OK. And like I remember some of his music. Yeah. And it's pretty weird and that's so fascinating so it's hard to chart what happens here but there's something about steve taylor coming on that really enhances the band he doesn't even stay long and um, peter takes over the major responsibilities of the songwriting within like a year or two but taylor's presence definitely gives the newsboys something and we see not ashamed the album not ashamed be considerably more successful than any of the prior albums like even prior albums combined In 1994, there's a continued lineup changes in terms of the band members. Um, They introduce someone named Jody Davis and Duncan Phillips. So now we're starting to get more into like familiar names. And then the band releases their fifth album in 1995 called Going Public, and it's their first major success. Interesting. And there's also a theme between these two really famous, like these big breakout albums that like, I'm not ashamed going public this idea of like i hate this phrase but i know it's what yeah, they're i know what you're gonna say coming out yeah. as a christian yeah and uh you know because we all know that historically you know clearing you're a christian in the most christian nation in the world is a difficult thing anyway uh but it seems like that's something that is a big talk about it's for dc talk as well mm-hmm. um and it seems to be like this i don't know clarion call of that decade Mm -hmm. for christian artists absolutely and that's something that we're going to talk about that i think connects a lot of these albums and a lot of these songs is this ongoing idea of being a witness which interestingly is huge to this era and not something we've spent tons and tons of time talking about other than I think maybe a little bit in Jesus Freak, though they were doing something else there, I would argue. I would argue it's something else. It's again, like we said, more tethered to martyr culture. Yes. That's a very specific part. I think it's a subsection of this being a witness. Yes. But it's a different thing. It overlaps in the Venn diagram. Correct. And it was also, I think DC Talk was more also about like establishing this like um, counter Christian identity that Newsboys doesn't seem as invested in. Newsboys is really in some ways they're a bit simpler in that I think their message is really about like, I am not ashamed to speak the name of Jesus Christ. Like, you know, it's the it's the classic witness model Mm -hmm. um, that's so, you know, quintessential to this era. So that album wins the 1995 Dove Award. It has numerous songs that hit number one. Um, It introduces the song Shine which would stay on the top charts for literally a decade. And it's now considered one of the it's all on, it's like on the list of the 100 greatest songs of Christian music of all time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's one that I still if I hear the word shine, I can start to hear the like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. OK, and that's I yeah. think all we can do without yeah. getting sued. OK, see, we're yeah. worried. <laughs> Uh, So from there, they continue to grow. In 1996, they release an album called Take Me to Your Leader, which again has many hit singles and they're just continuing to grow. And then a year later, the album Step Up to the Microphone. So the era that we experienced the Newsboys as kids and teens was truly their greatest era, hence why they feel so big to us. Mm -hmm. Um, They released so many number one singles and they're just extremely well loved at the time, especially among um, children and teens. 
uh, the decades solidifies them. The 1990s really solidifies them as a Christian band having, um, you know, just immense popularity. In terms of CCM as a whole, I will say they never achieve the like widespread popularity that is like an Amy Grant or Michael W. Smith. Like in terms of the numbers, those two just still blow them out of the water, which is always so funny for me to see. Like when I go in and Google, you know, like top Christian artists of all time, I always think Newsboys is going to be higher up actually on the list. But God, Amy Grant just freaking kills it every time. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder if that's just because of the controversy that she had. You know, yeah. in the eighties that we talked about, and continues to have, and continues to have. I mean, my girl Amy, thank you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like, if you guys don't know, as another thing, we'll yeah. throw in the notes. But like, Amy Grant, like, publicly said that she's gonna host a queer wedding on her farm, and she's gonna support people. Like, that's huge, crazy. It's insane to me that Amy Grant, of all people, <laughs> I know. is doing, and she's getting backlash, and she's still standing up to it. And I just think that, like, she has the, I don't know, the potency at this point to still be someone who has crossover appeal Mm -hmm. in a way that Newsboys doesn't. And I kind of think they're proud of that. Yes, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. The same is true for, I think, Michael W. Smith, that in some ways, maybe it's unfair of me to compare them. And that's why I say CCM at large. Especially considering that someone like Amy Grant was also doing worship, was also doing Christmas, was also doing some like low key love songs and like motherhood song. And that's not what the Newsboys were doing. No, far more monochromatic in their weirdness, if I can put it that way. Yes. No one would have called Amy Grant quirky. No, not at all. I don't think, you know, um, maybe now they're calling her things, but I still don't think (laughs) I still don't think quirky is one. No, she's not getting called quirky. Uh, she's getting called much worse things, I, I yeah. would imagine. But if you um, YouTube uh, like Amy Grant right now, the like commentary from from Christians is hilarious. Like I watched a video this morning where this guy's like, what has happened to Amy Grant? And like, let's pray for her. And I mean, it's so anyway, that's a whole other. Maybe we can have an Amy Grant. Episode. I was going to say we she should keeps do coming up. We should do an Amy Grant episode just for the sake of like how many times we talk about her. Yeah. And and we're not going to fall down this rabbit hole, but I want to like put a pin here because I think this is uh, a more meta conversation across our podcast. And that is that the nineties and early two thousands feels like the time frame when culture war Christianity really solidified. Like, so true. We see it earlier with the Jesus freak movement mm-hmm. and the moral majority in the eighties and all that. Like, it's there. It exists yeah. before this. But I think um, it wasn't embraced as thoroughly as it was in the 90s and early 2000s on like every spectrum, mm-hmm. you know. And I think the newsboys, when they started taking off big, they started to lean into the identity politics of being a Christian. Yep. Yep, they absolutely started tapping into that. And we're going to see that with the songs I've picked out for us. Um, So on that note, actually, the album I'd like to concentrate on is Shine the Hits. And that is their, you know, if you are an evangelical from this era, you probably have listened to Shine Their Hits. You can picture this album cover. You know exactly the tint of silver it is. Yes, yes. And that god awful red font on top of it. Oh, like, what it's the hell? hideous. Uh, 
So it's their first um, album of, of hits. It's basically a collection of the hits from 1988 through the end of the 1990s. So although Love Liberty Disco, ooh, never like Love Liberty Disco in my really no no interesting. No. I don't know that it's anywhere near as memorable as the other ones you've mentioned, but I don't know that I have any strong feelings against it. Its greatest flaw might be that it just followed the other album. Like it followed the big ones. Sure. Sophomore slump. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, so the it does not include Love Liberty Disco because they knew it was shit. No, (laughs) it doesn't include Love Liberty Disco, despite it being in that era. So Shine the Hits is just those albums I've already named. The album is a useful artifact, I think, for our podcast, because like you already started to share, it really encapsulates the absolute most. Well, it encapsulates most beloved songs of the era, but it also encapsulates a certain anxiety and mindset that was so pervasive in this culture about Christian identity, about sharing of one's Christian identity, about being a witness. There was such an urgency also surrounding these topics so maybe okay well you know what to start what do you remember about this album do you remember any of the titles on it i remember a few of the titles the ones that stick out to me are obviously shine sure breakfast take me to your leader um uh not ashamed okay like those are the big ones that like still exist in my brain space that's perfect because these are like the exact ones that i've picked out for us to talk about so awesome To start, it might make sense to begin with the song Shine, which is where the album gets its name and talk a little bit about that song and like how it kind of um, reflects concerns of the entire entire album. Cool. So I have put um, in the chat the first I think it's the first stanza and then the um, chorus. Would you mind reading it? Read the whole thing. Yeah. You don't need to do an Australian accent. Thank God. That would have been a problem. Talking Peter Furler's voice. (laughs) Uh, Shine. Dull as dirt. You can't assert. This is so hard reading songs. It really is. Yeah, yeah. I'll try that again. Kind of like that. My perspective. (laughs) (laughs) Dull as dirt. You can't assert. The kind of light that might persuade a strict dictator to retire. Fire an army. Fire the army. Teach the poor origami. The truth is in. The proof is. When you hear your heart start asking, what's my motivation? And all I want to do is say that as motivation. (laughs) And try as you may, there is no way to explain the kind of change that make an Eskimo renounce fur, that make a vegetarian barbecue hamster. (laughs) I'm a vegetarian. Why not the other way? Very, very upsetting line. Unless you can trace this about face to a certain sign, shine, make him wonder what you got, make him wish that you were not on the outside looking board, shine, let it shine before all men, let him see the good work, let him see good works, and then let him glorify the Lord. Okay, so again, that's first stanza and chorus of the song Shine, which is where the album gets its name, top song of the decade, and then one of the continually categorized as one of the greatest Christian songs of all time. What sticks out to you here? So many weird things. I know it's so weird. Uh, The first is a weird like sense memory. I remember the word bored in like on the outside looking bored. Mm -hmm. Auditory processing problems. Never knew that that word was bored. Oh, really? I had no. I said it as uh, random syllables. I said it as boy. I 
Yeah, no idea. So that's interesting. Well, I always thought they were saying, let them see good works of men. And it's, sure. it's actually let them see good works. And then which makes right. does make more sense. It's better than rhyming men and men. Yeah. Although let's talk about rhyming army origami <laughs> and is in. Yeah. And these images, uh, this I said to you, I was saying to Nick right before we started that some of the lyrics that that newsboys have, the playfulness of them, the randomness, the odd images that you're like, where in the world are you getting that from? Gave me DC talk vibes and brought me back a little bit to our conversations of DC of uh, Jesus Freak, where they're just like pulling in all these very strange metaphors and images. And you're not even entirely sure if they connect or if their point is even to connect. Uh, Yeah, I would argue that like, newsboys style is a lack of connection yes aside from the theme so to speak right like the newsboys represent a like trend in ccm that actually like fucked up my writing for a long time which is this lack of consistent metaphor use Hmm. oh that's interesting yeah i mean okay so a strict okay so dull as dirt you can assert the kind of light that might persuade and here we go with the images a strict dictator to retire fire the army teach the poor origami well that's a full sentence there so stop for a second because the so the idea of this whole song is that there's a moment when the light comes on. Like, yeah, is that it's epiphany like a, it's like thing? a click. Yeah, right. that's the conversion moment we're discussing. Sure. And that is so powerful. Right. That it would make a dictator step down mm-hmm. and remove his army. And then what? Teach arching crafts to <laughs> home like houseless folks. <laughs> yep. Can't you see Trump sitting there like, you know, doing friendship bracelets with poor people? <laughs> I would give anything to watch that man try to braid a lanyard. I know. I know. Oh, my gosh. And then and then we go into the um, uh, to explain the kind of change that would make an Eskimo renounce fur that would make a vegetarian barbecue a hamster again. Why can't it be the other way around? Yeah, why not? Like, why isn't it like a meat eater a give me- up? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, first of all, we need to be masculine. Hell, you know, vegetarians are weak. Yes, of and course. And they go to hell because that's where they go, right? That we've already established <laughs> that hell is for the weak, right? Yes. Also, a hamster. Okay, whatever. I you had to rhyme fur. What yeah, are you yeah, gonna... yeah. No, no. I know you're right. You're right. It had to happen. Um, so much randomness here. But he, okay, but like Eskimo renounce fur. And vegetarian barbecue. So the vegetarian barbecuing a hamster, the vegetarian eating meat. We're just going to say it that way because the other way is too traumatizing. Yeah. That's like a here's this core tenant of yourself that you are giving up. But this is what we're reducing indigenous folks to. Right. And to be fair, there was that critique. It wouldn't have even surfaced. Not at all. At the time. So, I mean, that's sweet of you to say that. But that. <laughs> so condescending it's sweet of you to think that that would be something that would matter in the 1990s you know how she talks to me <laughs> you know so okay so what is the overall so what is what is the point to this song to the num one of the num- top christian songs of all time what is the point here yeah right like the point just comes down to like you know uh <laughs> i'm thinking of the song from like when we were in kindergarten like hide it under a bushel no i'm gonna let Let it shine shine. let it shine yeah like it's it's just that we're just replaying that same exact metaphor that same exact uh talking point of you need to uh, project this 
change in your life that is your conversion, that is the influence of Christ in you that needs to go out into the world. Do you think it's harmful? Yes. Okay. Do you? Um, we keep talking about like a spectrum of harm. Yeah. I'm not sure where I would put it. I wouldn't put it super, super far on the harmful, you know, side. But, um, as I think as the episode goes on, I'd like to hear a bit more broadly speaking, what you think about this ideology of (laughs) shining the responsibility of sharing one's faith. Um, we talked a little bit about it in the WWJD bracelet, but Um, That was that was also different because it was in addition to a proclamation. We talked about it being more of a personal experience as well. These songs are almost solely about what are you communicating to the world in every single thing you do? Right. Yes. A hundred percent. And be prepared for the world to one notice, which goes against like every fundamental belief I have about humanity, not giving a shit about anything anyone is doing. Watch for people to notice and then to have a radical change. Hence, the Eskimo will renounce fur or whatever. This this I think latches on to two kind of concurrent thoughts that I have about this ideology. One is a conversation with my sister that we had this sort of impetus to have children like constantly be witnessing in everything that they do or else you must like, you know, the way my sister put it is like, I had to be constantly talking about Jesus or else it was as though I hated my friends and family. Yeah, we don't we haven't talked enough about that, but and I forget about it for some reason. But in terms of some of the most damaging ideology of this era and this time and this culture, the precious to the, the pressure to witness is a huge one. It really, really is. It really is. And And I think a lot of what Newsboys music is doing kind of on two levels, and and maybe we can say that this is contradictory, but putting the imperative to make this happen all the time, but also kind of taking some of the pressure off and saying, oh, it's just the way that you act and the way that you've been changed. That's going to organically make people think differently of you. So there's that sort of contradiction at play. But that kind of comes back to the other thing. That's kind of running alongside that conversation with my sister in my mind. And that's actually from the comedian Pete Holmes. He always talks about how when he was a kid, they would have these people come and give their testimonies. And it was like, oh, I did drugs and I was fucking women left and right. But then I found Jesus and I became boring. And it made me, you know, Pete Holmes says it made him want to like go out and do all these crazy things so his testimony would be more interesting and he'd have a radical change to talk about i remember you saying this yeah but like you're a child i accepted jesus into my heart at seven before i used to pull toys out of my siblings hands but then jesus told me i shouldn't yeah what radical change are we actually talking about uh, you know? Yeah. And I, I like I had that is actually a um, contradiction I had never fully thought out. So I'm glad that you gave voice to it. The reoccurring idea in the discourse was always that one, you do need to be in, a, you know, evangelizing at all times, but also just by loving Christ, you are always already a witness as well. I keep also using the word witness. And I recently had someone call me out and be like, what the hell is a witness? Um, because we use it as both a verb and a noun. Um, you know, it is basically evangelizing. It's yeah. it's yeah. Yeah. It's proselytizing. I, I like the idea that like the noun and the verb is apparent for the contradiction. Right. When yeah. I say witness or be a witness, like it's by your sheer existence that you are giving witness to what 
Christ has done, that kind of thing. Right. Or you are going out to actively. That's the verb. Yeah. 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 Oh, I never thought of it that way before. But yeah, yeah, they mean it in two different ways. They mean it as like everybody will be looking at you and wondering about your joy and your peace and you will be a witness. And then there's the more like conscious, intentional. I am going out to witness verb. (laughs) Sorry, this is how I think about, you know, everything English professor. Um, But yeah, so there's they're always talking about two things. I think that the newsboys and I think this album is more concerned with the former rather than the latter. I think they're a little noun. The noun. Yeah, I think they're a bit more concerned with the noun. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. You know, certainly hand out the tracks at your local Walmart, but at the same time, <laughs> which is something I did, by the way. Hi- hide them in the pockets of uh, of the jeans that they yes, have on the. Yeah. Yes. Leave them um, on the, the little metal tampon boxes is what we were told. Leave them on the tampon, you know, disposal things just in case someone's sitting on the toilet and will come to Christ. <laughs> So weird. Well, you know, listen, in the world before cell phones, people needed reading material. You know what? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. They were probably bored out of their mind on the toilets. So they needed. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. So that's Shine. Second song that I wanted to talk about is Take Me to Your Leader. Could you read this one? I don't know if I can get through this one without the music in I know. my head. This is, this is a rough is a one. Tough one. Again, this is uh, once again the first stanza and the chorus. I would love to read the whole songs, but we just don't have the time for it. Yeah, this this is one that I think. Yeah, we're just gonna read it because there's no way to describe this song. I don't think, and I can't even do it. Uh, Isabel is a belly dancer with a kleptomaniac's restraint. Tried stealing Helena's handbasket, made a fast getaway, but McQueen she ain't. At the courtroom, Joshua judges her ruthlessly on account of Ruth walking out on him. In the big house, Isabel is a tellin' all to the chaplain who's become her friend. This is the chorus. She says, I don't know why you care. I don't know what's out there. I don't know where or how. Just take me to your leader now. Take me to your leader now. Yeah. And when it's sung, it's take me to your leader now. Take me to your leader now. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So what in the God, what on God's green earth is going on here? Yeah. So I thoroughly believe that Peter Fuller, after writing this, went for a round of high fives for all of his cleverness. (laughs) That's a great image. (laughs) Like just he wrote down Joshua judges her ruthlessly and then just went around the room fist pumping at how clever he was. It's got to be. No doubt. No doubt. Like, yeah, there's a lot of like clever. There is turns of phrase in this. It's so fucking catchy. Yeah, it really is. This song gets stuck in my head. So like for the rest of the day, I will be stuck on these lines. Mm hmm. Now, trying to parse meaning from them, there's so much relying on the idea of cleverness that we're not actually concerned with any of these Mm. turns of phrase conveying any additional meaning. Yeah, agreed. He's just telling a story with a fun sound. Yeah. There's no there's no like layering to, well, why is she called Isabel? Why is she a belly dancer? That doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Like it matters more that he vaguely says that she is a thief mm-hmm. than that she's a belly dancer 
Right. Or that she's the thing she's trying to like. This sounds like something I would come up with a D&D campaign. <laughs> he goes to steal Helena's handbasket. Handbasket. Like hell in a handbasket. Like, oh, that's yeah. 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 Like, cool. Like, why does it matter that she's trying to steal hell in a handbasket? Yeah. It doesn't. I don't, right. I don't think it does. No. Maybe there's something about like trying to like the accessibility of I don't think he went that far. The accessibility of hell or things that will lead you to hell. This is me overthinking with my ADHD That's overthinking. brain. overthinking. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is really just it's a bunch of sinners. Right. People who are sinning. It's Isabel yeah. stealing, stealing, going to court, right. getting convicted and then talking to the chaplain in jail. Right. That's the story. And she is noticing something in the ch- the the pastor, the priest, chaplain. I'm sorry. I don't know why you care. I don't know what's out there. I don't know where or how. Just take me to your leader now. Take me to your leader now. So what is she asking the chaplain? Show me the thing. Show me your God. Yeah, basically it's I don't even think it's a show me your God. It's a like oh, you're interesting. I need to know from where you get whatever it is that you have. Right. Which he's a chaplain. His literal job is to counsel people in prison. Now we can talk about how that's an absolutely terrible thing for chaplains to be doing, but we're going to back off on that because this isn't about politics right now. So it's the age old idea of like, I see something in you that intrigues. This was what we were always told. Right. And we weren't chaplains. <laughs> but I see hypothetically someone was going to come to you. I was told this my entire childhood never happened, by the way. Never. So I either was not doing something right or it's not a thing. And I'm leaning. They could tell that you were going to be a heathen ahead of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They could like see 15 years down the road and be like, this girl's not in it for the long haul. They had their queer senses tingling yeah, and yeah. just ran away. Exactly. But the idea was that eventually You were going to witness noun, be a witness noun form. And eventually someone was going to come up to you and be like, Nick, I just have to ask, where do you get your joy from? Where do you get your peace from? And then you two would have to respond with Jesus. Yes. And then the two of you would sit down and you would lead them to the Lord. That was what was going to happen. Always. Always. Yeah. And the interesting setup of this is like the inciting line in the chorus is i don't know why you care (laughs) right like again this is ostensibly this man's job but putting that aside like do you really think that other people in the like nobody gives a fuck about anybody else except for christians they're the ones that care the most honestly that's not my experience of the world but it's this idea that you care so much that people need to know the reasoning and again the take me to your leader is nothing but invoking like the you know from another world be aliens like i had i had a a sticker that was like you're not of this world and it had like the alien you know the image of like the green alien with the big black eyes and it then a bible verse underneath it oh my god i'm really glad i didn't have a car yet in my uh (laughs) i didn't put it on my car because i was afraid to use stickers because then they would be in that place forever Oh, okay. Yeah. Talk about being an anxious kid. Yeah, there's something there for sure. Um, I had also texted Nick and said there's there this language I don't think really existed um, in the 90s, or at least it was not like 
as common as it is today, but there is something so culty about taking me to your leader. I mean, I'm just picturing someone being like led to this like a guy on a throne who's like, and now we're all going to drink this thing together. You know, like, it, just, it just feels it was so it feels so culty. This one does so culty. It feels Bikram yoga, MLM. <laughs> like, it just feels I mean, and again, this was not a discourse that was very popular back then. Um, we were all too busy being in one. But it's it feels you can't say this sounds like a cult when you're in it, you're but in especially eh, academia, though. I do that all the time. Okay, fair, <laughs> fair, fair game. We are in that cult. It's fine. Uh, it's fine. We're fine. <laughs> Blink twice. And we didn't read this part, but the chorus actually changes in this song. Correct. From I don't know why you care to they don't know why we care to right. you don't know why I care. Right. Let me take you to my leader. So you literally have this shift from outside to inside the cult. Yeah. It's, you know, evolving in the song. So I think that it's actually this song's actually really similar to Shine in that it's it's basically doing the same thing. I love that you have this as the bridge piece between, oh, were we not doing breakfast? We are. We, we could are. actually go to breakfast next. I was going to say, I think this is a good bridge piece between Shine and Breakfast. Sure. Because it has the absurdity of Breakfast with the same basic formulaic message as Shine. So there's this song called Breakfast, which was huge. Huge. Um, this will feel this will be funnier once we read the lyrics, but this song was particularly popular among children. It was played constantly in my neck of the woods on what we called the kids cookie break, which sure. was the Christian radio station children's program. It was played constantly at my local Christian night roller rink. Children's church. Children's church. I have vivid memories of just like belting it out with a with a best friend of mine in the back of my family's car and not really realizing all of what I was saying. So this is breakfast. Um, this is a lot to read. So but it's also extremely repetitive. Do you want to go for it? This is breakfast. Hold the milk. Put back the sugar. They are powerless to console. We're gathered here to sprinkle ashes from our late friend's cereal bowl. Breakfast clubbers say the motto that he taught us to repeat. Quote, you will lose it in your gym class if you wait till noon to eat. Back when the chess club said our eggs were soft, every Monday he'd say grace and hold our juice aloft. Oh, none of us knew his checkout time would come soon, but before his brain stopped waving, he composed this tune. This is the chorus. When the toast has burned and all the milk has turned and Captain Crunch is waving farewell, when the big one finds you, may this song remind you that they don't serve breakfast in hell. Breakfast clubbers dropped the hankies, Though to some our friend was odd, that day he bought those pine pajamas, his check was good with God. Those here without the Lord, how do you cope? For this morning we don't mourn like those who have no hope. Oh, rise up, Fruit Loop lovers, sing out sweet and low. With spoons held high, we bid our brother cheerio. And then the chorus just repeats for the next, like, two minutes of the song. When the big one finds you, may the song remind you. That they don't serve breakfast in hell. Noted. <laughs> I, uh, as an intermittent faster, <laughs> dare I say a religious intermittent faster, 
this song holds no threat to me whatsoever because I'm all oh, you weaklings thinking you can't eat. You have to eat before noon. I'll be fine in hell. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I love breakfast food, but I prefer it in the evening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said to you before, if this song was called dinner, I'd be shaken a bit. But, sure. you know, this I, I'm like, oh, I'm used to starving. They don't serve pasta in hell. Hang on. I'm converting. Yeah. But not eating for the first five hours of the day. I've got that. So anyway, don't I don't endorse that. I don't endorse any diet. This this podcast is not endorsing. Do any not diets. take health advice <laughs> from not a medical podcast. Device. <laughs> medical advice. OK, so thoughts on this. This is an absurd song. This is truly absurd. It's truly absurd. It's more consistent than Take Me to Your Leader, right? Like that we're doing all food puns. We're doing all breakfast food puns. Everything is focused on this singular breakfast effect, right? The uh, name dropping of the brands, the, the specific types of cereal feels very much, well, postmodern it feels yeah we'll put that aside it reads like white noise you know all the name dropping right but <laughs> right. also like it's targeting kids for yes. loops i mean yep. yeah mm-hmm. yes and like you said the none of the adults took this seriously enough to make it an adult song right it was deemed a children's song because it was playful because it was talking about sugary cereals mm-hmm. you know like they ignore the sweet and I don't know a child that uses sweet and low, but, <laughs> but they ignored that it was a children's Pinch song. Of sweet and low in the right. black coffee, the eight year old. <laughs> but the Fruit Loop lovers, the, the, the continuous Captain Crunch, Cheerio, I mean, it just it feels childish. You know? It is childish. Yeah, it's it's and, and but I think this song is is thoroughly more insidious and harmful than Take Me to Your Leader. Yeah. Just because the focal point is death and hell. Right. And not like being a good person so people know Jesus. What's weird, though, is that although on one hand I'm inclined to believe you and I had tons of hell anxiety as a kid that I credit to that culture. This song also kind of renders hell completely absurd and silly as opposed to someone like Carmen who took it so earnestly that you were like legitimately terrified when you listened to his songs. This wasn't a song for me that when I listened to it, I was getting the hell anxiety. Like it rendered it kind of silly and like trivial. Don't you think it trivialized it? Absolutely. That's kind of my point. Okay. Okay. I think my point is like, for sure, I was more afraid of what Carmen was singing. (laughs) than this but this song is literally about a high schooler dying right like the song is about a high schooler dying in columbine era <laughs> in columbine oh era <laughs> yeah and everybody's like it's okay that everybody thought he was a weirdo because he was good with god like they literally call his coffin pine pajamas oh my god that's that's why this is problematic to me. That's where the harm and the frustration with this song comes in for me. Yeah. Is that it is trivializing this terrible. I don't think this was a traumatic song or a scary song at the time. I only have fond, silly memories of this song. Um, my sister had a friend who loved this because her favorite food was cereal. My sister loved cereal. It was just like a silly thing that they liked to say, that we all like to say. <sighs> I, I think that's a problem. I think, you know, we've talked about this before when the Veggie Tales episode and in other episodes that like the way these 
very harmful ideas, these very troublesome or problematic ideas targeting children in a playful way. Yeah. And I have to be honest, too. I have to check myself sometimes because I think when you grow up in this kind of culture, it is norm. It's normalized. Still to this day, I will look back at different things from from this era of my life and I'll be like, it really wasn't that bad. It's you know, it's no big deal, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll have to consciously reframe it with the children that are currently in my life. And that's how I check myself. So I go, I try to imagine my surrogate nieces singing this song and truly believing it or having some of the interactions I did with adults in the church. Right. And I'm horrified. And I go, that's probably my sign that this is more screwed up than I'm acknowledging. If I don't want it for someone else. In fact, if I really don't like I, I feel like, you know, grossed out thinking of them doing some of the things I did. Right. That's a that's a problem and calls out my own sort of um, calling out my tendency to maybe be too apologetic still for this culture, for the people, for the community, for the ideology. I don't know. Does that track with you? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And and I think we specifically on this podcast and, and in our friendship have kind of, you know, <laughs> laughed at trauma and laughed at these things that like maybe aren't even trauma traumatic, right? We've kind of just said, oh, here's this silly thing. Wow, we were weird. Like, you know, <laughs> we're Fruit Loop lovers. And and we move past it because we've adjusted, because we've processed it, because of all this distance we've been able to put ourselves in. And some people aren't able to have that. Also, I think on some level we might even overdo it. And I and I don't mean it I don't mean it overdo it in a sense like thinking these things are so traumatic, but we can look at these things and say, oh, this was harmful. Okay, well, it didn't register as that at the time, but that doesn't mean it's not problematic. You know, we might deem something harmful or traumatic that wasn't, but we just don't want to repeat it. You know, I think those are two things that we sort of miss just because of you know, our our tendency is to laugh and move on. Yeah, that's a really nuanced way to think about these experiences and a difficult one, especially in our sort of, you know, like our Instagrammy world that assigns really intense labels to certain experiences, right? Something was a trauma, something, you know, and all on that, I'm always I'm always existing somewhere in that liminal space between it. I don't know if it was at that time. I don't know if it registered as harmful at the time. I also wouldn't want it for others. And I'm floating somewhere in the middle of that, you know, those truths. Right. Uh, we you and I have said this about about this before, not in this context, that we use the word trauma in our culture and society flippant too lightly yeah and even more so i think exactly what you said we're a bit hyperbolic when we look back and 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 discuss these things now i had a i had a conversation with a a loved one who's somewhat still in the conservative arena this this church arena and and she was telling me that like okay yeah sure you know you want to point out these problems and that's good you want to reevaluate these things in your child but like, where's the good? You know, and that was the tenor of that conversation. And I won't get into it. Because, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I won't get fully into it because I don't 
I don't know that you and I are bad at acknowledging. Oh, hey, this is good. I think our our last couple episodes about the Eldritches kind of like point that out. Like, all eh, right, it wasn't all you know harmful, and, and us, you know, we we're trying to put these things in context with each other and in context with other things about on the scale of harm, a thing that you've used a lot. But I think something that we might miss is it doesn't have to be traumatic to say this was a problem. It doesn't need to be something that harmed me or impacted my life forever, or even a phrase we used early in season one, uh, a bumbling in the background or humming in the background. It doesn't need to be that. You can look at something and say, you know what? I don't want more of that. That's, that's part of the function of free speech. That's part of growing up. That's part of our journey in remembering these things is to just be able to say, you know what? It might not be harmful, but I don't want any of that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And it it's it's such, again, a great middle ground between sometimes I feel torn. I feel pulled in two different directions sometimes when I talk to people about these experiences. And it's probably why my conversations with you have always been so gratifying. Um, because there's more room for nuance. You know, I'm pulled between the people who, like you kind of mentioned, are like, okay, but how bad was it really? Was it really that bad? Could you concentrate on the good? Clearly, you're a fully functioning adult. I'm, you know, I'm pulled that direction. And then on the other hand, on the other end of folks who didn't grow up in the church, I'm torn in the acknowledge that this was trauma. I can't believe you don't see how traumatic this was. I can't believe you don't see how traumatic this was. And I'm sort of standing there like, you're both wrong and right. Like, like so many things, you're both wrong and right. And like you said, it doesn't actually have to be a trauma or even maybe perhaps better rephrased. I don't have to know whether or not it was a trauma because we do know trauma works in, you know, mysterious ways. Um, <laughs> revising the Bible. Revising trauma the Bible. works in mysterious ways. <laughs> we but may... even harmful. Like harmful. we don't even need to say trauma. We can back it off and say, was this harmful or not? It doesn't even need to be, yes, this was harmful for me to say it was a problem or I don't right. want more of it or, wow, can you believe that? We can't we don't need it to be harmful to marvel at. Oh, Lord. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. We don't have to have a direct measurable, like direct measurable proof of harm. If you have that, actually, you have a problem, like a really big problem on your hands. Right. It can just be us. I think there's also it's fine for us just to be critics you know and that's partly what we said even in our very very first episode about the difference between like descriptive and prescriptive right is that like we are approaching this as curious people and saying where are their problems um and always holding maybe i think both of us hold some suspicion about the role it did and did not play in our lives that's why the title of our podcast is, oh, God, I forgot about that and not, <laughs> oh, God, that traumatized me. Right, right. Right. Like, I think the goal of the humanities, right, that if I can kind of too succinctly sum up the role of the humanities is to be able to understand the manifold roles that different artifacts play in the lives of people and in the formation of culture. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, so th that's a, a way too succinct description of this, but that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. In case anybody loses sight in, in critiquing us and saying, okay, you're not talking about how harmful this was, or you're talking only about how harmful it was. Remember that the balance, the nuance that we're trying to hold is analyzing from that space of impact mm -hmm. of the, the, 
you know, like like we just said earlier, I don't think that Peter Fuller is sitting there nuancing out. Well, what is a reference from Steve McQueen bring? To, he's not DeLillo writing white noise like how dare you? <laughs> but but he's doing something that postmodernists do when they layer these things. He's not doing it intentionally. But we know that's the effect postmodernism has on people. So what does it mean that he reached for this particular thing? What does it mean that this traumatic, heavy thing, death and hell, is being, <laughs> pardon the pun, spoon-fed to yep, children? Yeah, I was just, it was on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> in, in, this, in this playful song. Yeah. It does mean something, regardless of what Peter Fuller or our parents or our churches yes. meant, meant it as. That matters not at all or so little to this conversation that we're not that we're trying to have right we're not trying to say well man our parents man fuck no no we both have you know our relationships with our parents are very much separate from these conversations about the artifacts that we're having our relationship to our churches to you know you mentioned that spiritual mentor that you had Mm -hmm. they're separate from these things yeah they're touched by these artifacts and we have to wrestle with them in our personal lives. Right. But that's not the subject of this podcast. Right. That's not the subject of, I think, public deconstruction. Like good public deconstruction isn't I'm mad at my parents for X reason. No. Or I love this thing because I had fond memories with it. Public deconstruction is what is this thing? Yeah. I want to understand this thing better. And that might yield really positive, you know, things and it might yield really negative things. I'm sorry. I keep, now that I'm framing breakfast as like a kind of postmodern text, now I can't go back. But like just the idea of sort of encasing the topic of eternal torment in consumer imagery i mean come on like it's so interesting so now we have this really layered like like (laughs) marxist are we doing a marxist postmodern reading here like that's so interesting like yeah yeah and like you said it doesn't i i doubt peter was sitting around doing this intentionally but it's it's just as interesting if he wasn't you know yeah who cares yeah, who, who cares, cares what he meant who cares right welcome welcome to welcome to the 21st century you know uh textual analysis where it doesn't matter what you wanted yeah what matters is what happened right right and what happened in this text in take me to your leader in shine is that we were communicated you are a noun capital w witness yes for christ And what is going to happen is you are either going to be bright and draw people to you and more importantly, draw people to Christ in you, or you're going to never eat breakfast again. There you have it. You're never going to eat breakfast again. I mean, listen, I see what I want to know is, are these foods off limits? Is it a categorical or is it just the time of day? Because technically breakfast is breaking the fast. So when you eat at noon, it doesn't matter what you eat. That's your breakfast. You're breaking your fast. Right. But does that mean I can never have French toast again? Do I never get to eat my quinoa and avocado again? I'm very curious about that as well. I'm very curious. Also, is it just the foods they mentioned? Like, are we doing just like highly commercialized breakfast or are we talking about like the whole nine yards pancakes, the works, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I newsboys, if you're listening, 
um, and could reach out over email to let us know. We'd like to parse this out on a systematic theological <laughs> level so that we can have everything in it. But, you know, listen, we don't want to miss out on this. Yeah. Like, you know, if we're going to get into theology here, when we're going to fucking do it. <laughs> newsboys of the 1990s you know there is i would almost love to have maybe another episode or talk about maybe later talk about newsboys post 2010 but i really wanted i thought there was some value in staying true again to our era because it's our era but also because you know quite conveniently our era was also what made the newsboys the newsboys where they're the most popular where they're the most well-loved So it it just kind of lined up perfectly that they're like quintessential to this era. They show us so much about the period. And it's also the kind of like, you know, newsboys at their at their climax. Speaking of newsboys and climaxing, is there something that you would like to tell our listeners about? (laughs) Where is this going? Sure, I'll tell the story. Okay, so I took ballet lessons at a Christian um, bookstore. We'll just let that be what that is. Yeah, Um, took ballet lessons at a Christian bookstore. I went to exactly one ballet lesson and it wasn't a church. I'll (laughs) just point that out. (laughs) Okay. And they uh, at the Christian bookstore, they had, you know, those huge like displays of new CDs. Um, like those big cardboard kind of cut out things. I haven't been in a Christian bookstore for quite some time, so I have no idea if this is I'm assuming it's still a thing. I see them at Target every so often, like a giant Justin Bieber, right? It's marketing. Never, nothing ever changes. Nothing ever changes. So anyway, uh, my mom and I became friends with one of the people who who worked the store. If you're listening. Hi, Rob. <laughs> and um, he I was a huge Peter Fuller fangirl, like for whatever reason, I loved Peter Fuller. And one of the um, stand, the CD stands was just like a six foot tall Peter Fuller. And Rob um, said, you can take Peter Fuller home with you. <laughs> this massive six foot cardboard cut out of Peter Fuller. And it didn't fit all the way in my mom's car. So <laughs> we drove like 40 minutes with Peter Fuller's head just sticking out the back passenger window like he's like a dog, you know, and then, <laughs> and then I had it in my bedroom for like two years. <laughs> now, is that a trauma or what? <laughs> the fact of like the, just the image of you had a newsboy standing in the corner of your bedroom for years is hilariously terrifying to me. There is so much to unpack there. Too much to unpack there. And we don't have the time for it, but I had to share. I had to share. Yeah, I felt like it was necessary. Yeah, needless to say, Newsboys was important to us. Yes, that's great. (laughs) All right, well, thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. Oh God, I forgot about that, the podcast. If you are enjoying our episodes, we would really love if you would leave us a review on Apple or rate us on Spotify. It helps kind of bring the podcast um, to people's attention. And also please follow us on Instagram and Facebook where we kind of post fun stuff and continue to make announcements about upcoming episodes. And we'd love to hear, you know, your thoughts on future episodes, things you want us to talk about. Let us feed, give us feedback. What do you think about Newsboys? How do you remember them? And how do you feel about the way we remember them? But thanks for joining us on our journey of remembering today. Talk to you soon. Thank you. 
Hi, Teddy. Oh my god. Hi, Nick. <laughs> Hi. T- okay. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Teddy. Wow. Talk about morning voice. We've gone deep. Okay. <clears throat> Hi, Nick. Hey, Teddy. <laughs> Can we just? Yeah. Let's just. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs>